The following is a presentation of the Belly Up Sports Media Network. The Flailing Tender Hockey Podcast. An old goalie's views on the week that was in the world of hockey. From junior right up to the NHL and everything in between. There may have been a few too many frozen pucks to the head, but that won't stop this old tender from giving his two cents worth on all things hockey. Flailing Tender Hockey Podcast brought to you today by BarnburnHockey.ca. Use promo code 1420BARN to get 10% off their all-natural hockey products and apparel at BarnburnerHockey.ca. Today, uh, be joined by an old friend of mine, Golden Gloves uh, heavyweight and super heavyweight champion, Canadian and North American kickboxing champion, jiu-jitsu champion, owner-operator of hard training here in Lethbridge, Alberta, strength and conditioning coach for the Lethbridge Hurricanes, the Western Hockey League, fellow native of Fort McLeod, Alberta, and a man that has proven that good, clean living is good for not only the heart, the soul, the body, but the hairline as well. Trev Hardy, how you doing today? The man, the myth, the legend joining us today on the on the podcast. How are things, Trev? Good, thanks. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm good. Thanks for uh, coming on the show. It's been uh, kind of bugging each other for a while now to get something going, but uh, we finally made it on this February the 3rd, 2023. Uh, Trev, you grew up on the mean streets of Fort McLeod, as I did. Uh, you're a little older than I am. What got you into the fitness world? I'm sure it wasn't playing for the likes of Geno Koopman and and uh, and Joe Bootland for the uh, the Arts Catalina Bantam B team. What got you into the fitness world of things back in the day? Because it, it wasn't really a, uh, a thing back in the day in Fort McLeod. It wasn't really that, but it was a rough go there going up, growing up in Fort McLeod for a while. And to try to become, you know, less of a non-factor, you know, socially <laughs> and, and the, the um, like I say, the, the lawless streets of Fort McLeod were a little tough. And so I tried to get a little tougher by strength training, this kind of thing. And then my great friend, Eric Hermenko, was doing karate and kickboxing. And he took me on as a student. And then he brought me to his gym where he was training in Lethbridge with Junior Olson and Cal Fuller and Blair Orr yeah. and the likes of them. And that's what got it going. You were, uh, you, you, you played hockey a little bit. I remember back in the day, you were a big Bob <laughs> Pro. To use the term loosely, yes. <laughs> yes, you, you put skates on. You, you skated around the ice. As, uh, you were a big Bob Probert fan back in the day, uh, pugilism days and stuff, and then the likes. Uh, in your opinion, it was Pro, is Probert still the best that ever that ever did it in the fighting world in, the, in hockey? That's my humble opinion. And there's lots of super tough guys out there, but he was, he just, you know, he had that combination of he could score, he could play, and he he fought all the big names and he had kind of as a fighter, probably the most attention and the rivalry with Ty Domi and with, you know, so many other guys, you know, Stu Grimson and Troy Crowder and, and just all the tough guys of the era. He was, you know, the cream roast to the top and there he was. Yeah, the thing was like when you first got to starting to work with hockey players a little bit, like I said, you weren't you were more into the kickboxing and martial arts and the whole bit. Uh, when you first started working with hockey players, how did that all come about? Uh, did did somebody approach you? Did you approach somebody? How was the first transaction? Who was it? There was a player in Lethbridge named Jay Birch, and he took oh, boxing yeah, lessons yeah, yeah. with me during the summer. And he wouldn't be much older than you, I don't think. Uh, one year younger, actually. Was he younger? Yeah. 
Oh, of course, yeah. Sorry, I had the backwards. That's right. Yeah. He'd be born in 76 or so. 75, 76. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Yeah. And so anyways, he was boxing with me for one summer. He did a great job. And he had some concussion problems. So he had to retire in his 20-year-old year. But throughout university, I had a, a kickboxing boxing school, you know, to just make extra money. And it was fun. And and we taught, you know, a lot of kickboxing students. And one of his friends, one of Jay's friends was Bryce Salvador, Lethbridge Hurricane Bryce Salvador. Yeah. And he came to the kickboxing class with Randy Perry and Dale Pierrenton. And I started working with them regularly. And Dale really took it to the next level. And he had the whole team come. He made it mandatory for the team to come. And I met Brian Maxwell, became very good friends that worked together for a number of years. They hired me as a strength and conditioning coach. That year, that year, 96, 97, was the, the year they went straight to the Memorial Cup you know, final game. And it was the most successful year on paper for the team that they had ever had. And that group of players, there was Dale and, and Bryce, but also Byron Ritchie and Travis Sprigley were the two big ones that I worked with uh, a lot. And then other ones, you know, Shane Willis and Mark Smith and you Martin Honberger and just a large number of players that ended up going on to, to very successful careers. And that was my introduction to training junior hockey players and yeah, it was a good one. And, and it's, it's been, it's been worked out really, really great. Yeah, I was going to ask you a little later, we'll get into that now. Uh, Dale Pearton, when he first came from, I think it was uh Kelowna, he got traded from, what was your first thought of him? And cause he's a big, big man and he wasn't uh uh, he was a bit intimidating just to be around as a, like I, I weighed 150 pounds back then, not much more now, but I remember Puritan on the ice and this when even off the ice, he was a big, big dude. What was your first impressions of Dale that when he first uh, came to Lethbridge from Kelowna? I only knew him as Lethbridge Hurricane. Like when he, the day that I met him, he was already on the Hurricanes and he was, of the three, he was, he wasn't quite as athletic as Bryce Salvador or Randy Perry and, and both of those two Salvador and Perry were extremely athletic uh, guys. And they, you know, right off the bat were punching very hard and moving very well. And Dale, but Dale was the guy, he just had this real intensity to him. And he had this kind of a look in his eye and well, there was a look. All right. Yeah. We'll get well, absolutely. That. <laughs> and, and he, so we, we tell players all the time, there's this myth that you can't gain muscle during the season. And that season, Dale went from 195 pounds to 210 pounds during that season, a very successful season. And so he was able to do that. He trained. When, when I met him, he said, what can you do to help me? And I said, you know, you can come train with me. I was still competing as a boxer myself. And I said, you know, I'm going to be training. You can train with me. And I don't know if you will, but but he did. And he, and he, he trained, you know, sometimes like three times a day during the season. It was crazy. And, and he did, he put on 15 pounds of muscle during the season and might've been a little bit easier because he was suspended for a total of 20 out of 72 games. <laughs> yeah, he had some time bit. up in the press box. There's no getting around that. That's yeah. right. That's right. So he was burning a few less calories than some of the players, but he really was a great captain and he did a really good job of motivating the whole team and, he was the guy that would step up anytime anybody needed anything on or off the ice. And he was a really, really good player. He was a better player than he's often, you know, acknowledged uh, for. And 
yes, he and he literally fought his way all the way to the NHL. You know, he had I believe it was 415 minutes in penalty minutes in uh, in Hartford. The year Hartford won the American League championship, and then he, yeah, had an NHL run, and yeah, just yeah, great guy. And he was the he was really the progenitor of the whole hockey training uh, direction for me. It wasn't in my plans. And had it not met him, it I don't know if it ever would have happened. It would have happened. Like back then, there was a like a lot of teams had guys who could who could throw them a little bit, and a lot of teams they like. And then you had guys who were mid heavyweights that could that could chuck them a little bit, and they they would get themselves in a little bit of trouble by picking on the wrong guy. Was there ever a guy uh, back in those early hurricane years when fighting was still a lot more prevalent? Was there ever a guy that you said maybe you should just train and maybe just keep your gloves on and not maybe get get yourself into any trouble on the ice? Was there ever a guy or throughout the, your time with the hurricane? Hurricanes was there ever a guy that you said maybe you shouldn't be fighting? There were a few, and there were some guys that were just so like Byron Ritchie, for example, was so good on the ice, but he was such a ferocious player that he would get into fights, and then he would be, of course, off, and be better off if he was on the ice. And you know, there there were players that you know that wanted to do it, and it wasn't in their kind of DNA that wasn't their best, the best part of themselves was not fighting, but they were, you know, such intense competitors that they wanted to do it. And yeah, there, there was certainly a few, you bet. Was there, was there a guy that kind of looking back over, over your time with uh, the hurricanes and even the guys that you, that weren't with the hurricanes, guys you trained in the summertime to come and see you, is it that, that were third and fourth line kind of guys that were in the Western league. And then they, because they, you, you said, well, you, you need to do this. You need to do that. If you want to go to the next level, is there guys that, that really, uh, if you, that one guy might stick out in your mind a little bit that uh, without your, uh, your pat in the back and kicking the ass only three feet away, but is there a, a guy that sticks out in your mind a little bit that you uh, might give yourself a pat in the back to, to transform his career a little bit by being in better, better shape? I don't know if I would give myself a pat on the back for it, but there were, there were players that exceeded expectations dramatically. And with hockey training, I kind of had a few, three real generations. Now the first generation was the, you know, born in 1976, 1977 players like Dale Pierrenton, Bryce Salvador, Byron Ritchie, Travis Brigley. The next generation was Robert Klinkhammer, Chris Verstig, as the 86s, and then uh, Devin Setaguchi and Colton Yellowhorn and Daryl Boyle as the 87s, and uh, Spencer Rachuk and Mitch Verstig as the as the 88s, and then the following generation, the the um, you know born in uh, 96, 97, uh, Tyler Wong and George Estefan and players like that. So in the first generation, you know, like Byron Ritchie, he was such was, a good player. Man, he was, he was a good player and he was the guy that really took, you know, hard work off the ice to the next level. Like he, in his 19 year old year, when he arrived at fitness test in Carolina, he was, he had a body fat of 14%, which is, which is pretty high for a forward. And the next year he was down to 5%. And that is just a dramatic transformation. And that's literally losing uh, at his weight, you know, like 18, 19, 20 pounds of body fat. And, 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 and he, you know, he really hard worked his way all the way there. And so he was the guy that did that in that generation. In the next generation, it was, it was Rob Klinkhammer, like, like Chris Verstig and Rob Klinkhammer for sure. Both those two 
Like Chris and Rob, neither one of them were drafted in a BAM draft. Neither one of them played Team Alberta. Uh, Chris was drafted in the NHL, and Rob was an average-ish player at age 19. Average to the point you didn't know if he's going to play major junior at age 20. And then it was that summer he kind of figured it out what he wanted to do and decided what he wanted to do with his life. And he just did it. And he just, he was one of those every inch adds up to the mile uh, guys and everything he could do, you know, the way he trained, the way he ate, the way he practiced, the way he put in extra work and all the healthy living practices. Like he really just, you couldn't have done a, a better job. I can't imagine doing a better job with anybody than, than he did, you know, kind of for himself. And now that was just great. And then Chris Verstig as well, like like he really, you know, like he, like if you look at Chris Verstig in Rockford, in in the the last year he played in the American League, he had 174 penalty minutes. So you know he was fighting and just grinding it out, doing everything he could do to get, you know, kind of his foot in the door in the NHL. And then once he did, you know, he was run up for Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I read uh, somewhere today when I was, I don't know why I was researched. I know most of well, I've known you my entire life pretty much, so I don't know why I was doing it, but I was doing some reading today. And uh, Chris Verstig actually said that he uh, he probably wouldn't, he wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't have made it to National Hockey League without your help because uh, he was a, he was a scrappy kid from the north side of Lethbridge with not much direction and and the like. But and you gave him the chance to uh, to train for free back back in the day. And uh, you said and you you told him I don't know if it's a true story if it's one of those clickbait things, but he uh, he said that you you told him that uh, one day if you make it, you can pay me then. Uh, what's the truth of that story? And what what was your take on Versti when he was a 15 year old from the north side of Lethbridge from the I, I don't want to say the wrong side of the tracks, but the the wrong side of the tracks, I guess. Well, the first thing is I made him say all of those things. Don't say these things about me now. Then I'm going to beat you up. And so that's where that all came from. And when when we when I met him, he was he was 15 years old. He was 125 pounds. He was he was going to be turning 16 and eligible to play in the Western League. And his friends called him the circus midget. This is in the less politically correct. Yes, era. back when you could say whatever you wanted and everything. Now else, would yeah. be the circus little person. <laughs> yeah, but he, you know, <laughs> he wasn't very big, but he did that summer. He bulked up to um, to uh, um, uh, a stocky one forty two. You know, put on uh, seventeen pounds in the summer and yeah. made the hurricanes. And Jesus. he was just always the guy that he had an energy about him and a presence about him and a confidence about him that just, you could tell he was going to do something big. And if you look at his old interviews and just the way he spoke and his presence and his self-assuredness, it, it um, you know, it, it surprised a lot of people when he did it, but People that knew him, you know, they certainly they certainly weren't shocked. Like it was, and he, you know, he was he was always so funny in the gym that it was. There's, there's always funny guys in the gym, like really funny. But he was one of the funniest, and he was always playing pranks on everybody. And and he was, you know, I'd, you've seen him before. He's a very talented musician, and he would. He would sing songs all the time and make up songs about everybody and their relationships. Well, I remember there. there's the Stanley Cup uh, parade in 2010 when he made up that song on the stage. You probably a few Bud Lights deep at that point. I'm thinking, but oh, uh, yeah. I, I remember I remember that one pretty vividly. I was like, "Holy man, where's this one going?" 
that's a that was a great one. He did it again in 2015 as well, yeah. and it was a duet. And and but he, you know, in the 2015 at, at the parade, like he, every game they give uh, most valuable, like the team votes on who's the most valuable player and, and give them like a, a title belt and their belts passed on every game. And a team voted on Chris for the final game. And he gave the belt to, uh, at the parade to the, you know, the son of a trainer that had died during the season. And it just, he was always doing stuff like that as well. Like he gets like, he was, he was flamboyant and charismatic and funny and all those things, but he was like really, really good guy. And he was always a very good person always doing things to that behind the scene and, you know, just helping people out and, and real great ambassador for hockey in general. No, that's great. Uh, we'll get back to fighting a little bit, but back in the uh, late, well, just, I guess it be the uh, mid 2000s to late 2000s, the CTE thing came about and there was a lot of uh, travesties that happened throughout the hockey world. Uh, and we've known that the hockey fighting was always dangerous. There's no getting around that, especially for, for one guy, usually in a fight, a fight fighting can be really dangerous and you don't like, like, like to make light of the whole situation, but um like it's just not a part of the game that much anymore. If you see one fight every five or six games in the Western League, where you used to see five or six fights a period, um, do you miss the, the fighting aspect of the game of hockey a little bit? Honestly, it used to be because Trevor used to be who won and were there any fights and nobody really cared who won, right? No, that's right. And the thing is, so just just to to build on what you said, you're 100 percent correct, and. Like with Lethbridge right now, the Hurricanes, like there's 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 one guy on the team that fights more than anybody else, or probably more than everybody else combined. And back in the day, the second or third year that I was there, Eric Goddard, for example, yeah. had 39 fights one year and, and 41 fights the second, 80 fights in two years. And that and Eric Goddard you know, good friend. And he would say, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm okay that we did all that. I'm, I'm, I did, you know, literally fight my way to the NHL and, you know, to a Stanley cup and all this, but we didn't know at the time the toll that was taken on young people. And had I known then, then, then I certainly wouldn't have been encouraging it as much. Had I known then I probably wouldn't have competed near as much myself as a boxer or a kickboxer or just got hit as much. And, you know, since then, you know, I, I've had, uh, I've had one friend who we lost to, to suicide relative to CTE and there are many others. And it's when you, the, the more you know about it, you know, the less you are you know likely to be encouraging it and it's becoming less and less a part of hockey. And, it's a, it is a good thing. And, you know, like it, that period of time, you know, it, it, it was the spirit of the times there was there, that was the information people had and people did what they did. But you take these guys like Dale Pierrenton that were groomed to be fighters and entertain the masses, you know, by fighting. That was their, that was their role. I mean, like to, to look after guys on the team. Yes. But as you say, it was something that the public wanted to see and, so when, you know, players are putting together their, you know, legal directions to get some compensation from the league for what for, you know, things that have happened to them relative to fighting, then I think that's good. And I don't 
personally have uh, near as much of an interest in uh, grooming people to be fighters per se. Mm-hmm. We like exposing as many people as possible to the very best of the martial arts to create more powerful people. But to, you know, to have people smash each other in the head in hockey games and in, you know, competitive arenas all the time, you know, we see that is the the risks outweigh the rewards in my humble opinion well yeah i i agree like just like back in the back in the day and old, old, old man get off my porch and everything it's uh, it's funny how you, we used to watch those games and and just and be animals in the stands almost or even when i played junior hockey the the way the way it was and it was absolute lunacy the fighting that would occur and you look back and you go what the hell like what were we doing like how could i be that mad about something that's nothing and just and then the stage i think where, where it really got worn for me a little bit was the staged fights that were happening that that guy's fighting that guy and they won't see another shift. And it's like, well, what's the point of this? You're not, you're not taking a guy out of the game. You're not, uh, you're not helping the game at all. It's just that guy's fighting that guy because their agents want them to go or whatever it may be. And that's when I kind of went like, maybe we should look at taking, taking it out of the game. Is there still a place for fighting in the game? Maybe, maybe not. Um, when a guy gets, gets hit and there's automatically a fight for whatever reason, I don't think that those are required either, but it's just, a, it's just a things. Well, everything's just different nowadays than it was 20, 30 years ago. Yes. It seems to be evolving, doesn't it? And it's getting like every aspect of human evolution. It's getting, everything's are getting a bit better and everybody's a little bit safer and you, if you look at those characters that we talked about, and they were all great characters, everybody got to bask in their exploits, like the, you know, like Gino Ojic and and Todd Ewan and and Derek Bugard and Wade Belak and all yep. these these great characters that Bob Probert that have passed now, and and you know their their life was was inordinately hard because of that hard role that they played, and in retrospect, it wasn't fair to them. And to have this sort of new direction where you're, you're, you're building a better game, you're building better people, and you're keeping people safer, it's, it's a good thing. The game has changed so much, not only off the or on the ice, but off the ice a lot. Uh, training camp used to be for actually training camp and getting in shape and and maybe sweating the booze out from the summertime or whatever it may be. Uh, that's this only this is thirty years ago. Uh, in the last ten years, it's changed even more with how much knowledge there is towards uh, fitness and nutrition and the like. What's the uh, biggest thing you've seen since you've uh, joined the Hurricane staff back in 96, like you said, to, to what it is now? What's what's the biggest change for uh, in, in, in the, the world of hockey that, that you've seen in the fitness the fitness and, uh, and health, health part of the world? Well, it's so different now. I was one of the first you know, strength conditioning coaches in the Western League, someone that was giving given like someone like like a specific that as a specific role, it would be that would normally be something that was done by by a, say an athletic trainer, and that would be part of what they were doing was strength conditioning. And now most teams have one, or basically every team has one, and it's just so much uh, a part of hockey culture now. And, you know, like the, the training in the off season is about rebalancing the body and then getting stronger and using strength to get faster. And every sort of metric, you know, like where you're measuring speed and measuring strength and measuring body fat and finding as many possible ways to improve the attributes of a hockey player. That is just so much more comprehensive now. And it's, as you say, it's, it's, crazy, yeah. it's a year long thing. And you want it to translate to the ice. You know, we're going to make players 
faster and more athletic and stronger. You want to help players be more durable, so less likely to be injured in the short term. In the long term, you want to be able to facilitate recovery from injuries and facilitate recoveries just, you know, from game to game. And, you know, there's a lot more involved than, than there used to be, but it's just part of the evolution of the game. And it's been, it's been an interesting process. It's been interesting to see all that, how that's all gone. Absolutely. When a when a new kid comes to Lethbridge to from either for, uh, as a rookie or he gets drafted in, the, in, in as a fifteen year old and they they uh, they come and they might go to their first training camp and they know they're not playing that season uh, is is there some kind of a fitness regimen that you give them is there is there, is there a dietary thing or do they, like once they, they leave Lethbridge when their their season starts September to go to their bantam team or their U whatever I, I don't I can't keep track of all these different U's that there is but is there something that you give that give each of these pro, like mainly the prospects not not some kid who shows up and he's gone back to wherever land. But so that's the, right. Do, do the prospects get a, a bit of a? The, ahead, there, there, the two things on that. There, there are a few things that we do that are not done by most strength and conditioning coaches and are sort of a little bit outside the box, but are very helpful. So everybody is introduced to those principles, and then. We provide support through the year with strength training and with nutrition and troubleshooting when a player has an issue here or there with injury or, you know, is having a hard time putting on weight or muscle or whatever it would be. Then, so the answer is yes. And th there, there are, like I said, there's some things that we do that are, that are, have been extremely helpful to players. And we, we make sure that everybody is. Flailing Tender Hockey Podcast is happy to have partnered up with Barn Burner Hockey. Barn Burner Hockey is a hockey lifestyle brand that is motivated by making all-natural, chemical-free hockey products for players of all ages and skill levels. Get yourself the Filthy Mist Deodorizing Equipment Spray, the Dirty Dangles 2-in-1 Shampoo and Body Wash. They've also got two different types of stick wax, hockey accessories, and apparel that will not only make you look good, but feel great on and off the ice. So go to barnburnerhockey.ca and use promo code 1420BARN and receive 10% off your purchase. That's 1420BARN at checkout at barnburnerhockey.ca. Barn Burner Hockey is so confident that you will love their all-natural products. They offer a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Barn Burner Hockey and the Flailing Tender Hockey Podcast, created for players, by players. Yeah, so we do do that, absolutely, yeah. Like uh, when the uh, when the Bantam draft happens and they, these kids are all they, they they're all being watched up from the age of twelve on basically and if they can skate and then they're on they're on a watchful eye and everything else the Bantam draft comes around do you uh, do you get the pleasure of sitting with uh, with the coaches and management of the Leopard Hurricanes to say yeah no maybe so do they ever come to you and say what do you think about this kid's uh, work ethic or whatever it may be are you involved in any of that Trev? They do ask about players that I know sometimes and. You know, and I get it wrong sometimes and everybody gets, you know, like say some of our best forwards and best defensemen ever have been undrafted players. And so the BAM draft, you know, it's, it's, it is important, but we tell everybody all the time, you know, it's not the end of the world if you don't get drafted and you can still go, you know, as far as, well, like, for example, like the, uh, some of our guys here, like Everstig, 
Uh, Brandon Davidson, Rob Klinkhammer, not drafted in the Bantam draft. Hurricanes current captain, Jed Jones, not drafted in the Bantam draft. Uh, Chase Weecroft, who was a, a good, you know, high-scoring uh, forward this year, was uh, played here last year and kind of grew up in the organization, not drafted in the Bantam draft. It, it is... It's it's important, but it's not it's not to be all end all. And it's you know when you draft a player at 14, 15 years old, it's like when you draft a player at 17, 18 years old, like you're assuming what they're gonna be like, you know, at 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and what they're gonna be like if you did the NHL draft at 23, 24, 25, and you don't always get it right. Yeah, I think drafting a kid in the Bantam draft is a little bit easier than drafting a kid who's 18 in the National Hockey League because you don't know what they're they're what's between their ears when they get 18 a couple of bucks in their pocket because it, when they're when they're 14 15 years old they're still in the watch alive of the parents the coach general manager whatever it may be and uh, and you they they may already have be a bigger kid and they might might succeed a little bit more whereas uh, an NHL kid uh, gets drafted at 17 all of a sudden you're, they're playing as guys who are 27 years old and uh, who knows where this could go right so it's uh, it's it's a different it's a different world altogether do you you deal with parents at hard training there a little bit like what are the uh, do parents come in with some pretty lofty expectations? Do you have to curb uh, curb the enthusiasm a little bit sometimes? They do, of course, and it's just you know, sports. Hockey's the biggest sport in Canada, so it's you know has the most attention, and so of all the different sports, there's probably the most of that. It's the one everybody knows somebody that has made it in NH in the NHL and and has made some money playing hockey. In other sports in Canada, it's not as much like that. And in the states, in in some parts of the states, it would be baseball or football or basketball. But here, it's definitely hockey. And but the, the good thing is, because of that, it tends to you know attract you know very intelligent, very athletic uh, kids. And it's expensive to have kids in hockey now as well. So every parent has a certain amount of financial wherewithal just to have. Just to have kids in hockey these days. Yeah. And so, you know, like they, they, they're you know, everybody, you know, wants the best for their kid and sometimes aspirations are a little bit lofty, but in general, you know, they're 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 always really good people. Did throughout your career with the Hurricanes now expands, geez, that's a, a long time now, Trev. Uh, did you ever have to have a sit down with a guy maybe away from the, the gym or the rink and go for a cup of coffee or a, a protein shake or whatever it is you guys indulge in and, and say you got to listen to Uncle Trev here a little bit, man. You, you've got a chance to do something here, but you got to start working a little harder. Was there ever a kid that just didn't want to, but you saw some you saw some talent and he took to heart what you, you might have said? Yes, yes, a number of them, you bet, yeah. Do you want to name them? <laughs> well, I would, I would, but it's say like the, the, ones, the, ones that, the ones that didn't, then we know someone who they, the people won't know who they are, they don't want to put them on the spot, right? Okay, I got but, you. But but there there are absolutely yeah you bet yeah because yeah. there like, sometimes guys just don't have it between the ears you go you, like you have some here and you just don't you just don't have the work ethic to do it and like it, it you're wasting our time here. No, that's right. And you have these examples. We have uh, so many examples of players that were never supposed to do anything that went and did something or a lot. And then there's unfortunately there are there are a lot of players that, that you know that could have done something and and did it in hockey and that but you know. That wasn't their path. That wasn't their path. Yeah. And if you don't have a real passion for it, like Chris Verstig, one of my old uh, athletes that I worked with a lot and was a very good friend with, uh, said that he would he was older than Chris and he played on team. Said, 
I'd pick him up for practice with the Hurricanes, and every day I picked him up, he was out in the garage, you know, stick handling and shooting. And and when I, whenever I visited Chris, you know, personally at his house uh, and wherever, you know, if the different part of where he's in Chicago or Florida or Denver or here in Lethbridge or wherever it would be, hockey is always on. He's just like, it's just hockey, hockey, hockey. He's just, they, like, he just, he just absolutely loves it. And the players that were less motivated were the players that it wasn't something that they just thought it was, it wasn't in their soul. Like it was for some of the guys. And that was, that's, that's always been the single biggest difference is the, the people that at a deep level, like their own personal reality was such that they just loved hockey and to get them to work hard was relatively easy. And the, the, um, you know, there's others that were super talented and, and that was just something that they excelled at and getting them to work, to put that same level of work in was, was tougher because it wasn't something that was, you know, like, like really meant a lot to them. Yeah. The thing is like the six inch be- between your ears, six or eight inch depends what it is that, that can, that can slow you down a lot in, in all aspects of life really. And you, your skill level can only take you so far and you got to put a, the extra work in to, to get you somewhere. Cause I'm sure like the, this, this Bedard kid who everybody's going to watch here in Leopards tonight, like yeah. he, no, no matter how much talent he's got, he's still got to work hard and, and put the work in because, uh, everybody's trying to go after him already at the age of 17. And when he goes to the next level, who knows what, what's going to happen when he's playing with the big boys next year, right? Look, so it's a, you, you, you have to keep going. And the guys that, that like it, they, they tend to advance a little further. You got to kind of a passion for it, not just like it. Like it's got to be ingrained in you and you can't just do it because someone tells you to. Absolutely. And that's, that's the thing about the players that are, that are super successful in the game they really want to excel at the highest level and just to exemplify the very best of hockey and the athleticism that underpins it. And, and those are the guys that end up being really, really successful in hockey. Absolutely. And then they're being great coaches too, because they just like, they, they love the game so much. They understand it at a deeper level. Like back to Chris, he just, when you watch him play, he had a really good career, but he, you know what, what he was even better than he was acknowledged for like his his brain was was just off the charts yeah he yeah and he made a made a couple of bucks like you said he made a good living for himself and set himself up pretty well financially by just working hard and, and, and that's that's the biggest thing with the with that like no matter and that the, 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 there's a shitty thing is that there's some kids who you can't get out of the gym you can't get off the ice and they just don't got it and you're like, and you don't want to say, oh, yeah. hey, man, give up. But like, there's some kids that just, and no matter what sport it is, they can try. I see it in baseball all the time where you're like, this kid works his tail off and he just don't got it. You don't want to break his soul or anything, but there's, but there's other ways where these guys can stay in the game some way by being, by like I said, being a coach or being a trainer or whatever it may be. So not, not to push guys away, but there's some guys, no, they, absolutely. they can be gym rats and just don't, they don't got her. That, that, that is totally true. And the training Training, in my opinion, should be about three things. What make the body feel better, perform better, and last longer. So when you really immerse yourself in those things at, at a high level for an extended period of time, you're only doing good things for yourself. And so, you know, there's ways of training that, you know, that, that, that is really hardcore but and kind of damaging. You can do the same thing in the same hardcore direction but in a way that's actually going to – enhanced longevity and this kind of thing. So 
when you have those kind of players like they're like th- that are not like, they're hockey they're not super talented at hockey but they're like say that like that have that gym focus do, done right they're do, doing it, if they're doing it right they're doing good things for themselves short term long term you know they're becoming more you know better students of their body and you're going to be healthier people and you know everybody we train even you know the skill players everybody has a little bit of the boxing and jiu-jitsu etc you know done right so we're learning to use the body to create you know more power in all contexts so becoming more powerful people so it's it's still a good thing and you know it's it is heartbreaking though it is heartbreaking when you see players that just want it more than anything and and just hockey is just, just not totally. their hockey yeah. not their friend hockey's just not yeah. their friend yeah you see that yeah. you see that a lot and it's, and it's too bad like, and because eventually you just do you run out of games to play right and if, if you're not good enough you're and even when you retire you run out of games to play and you can't go and uh, father time or it, it, it doesn't slow down for anybody and you can run out of games to play at 18 20 or, or 30 uh eventually it's just over for a lot of people and it, it's, people should really try to focus on enjoying it more I think that's one thing that I noticed a lot is that there isn't an enjoyment for the game with a lot of like the way the the business end of things is and the pressure that some of these kids feel nowadays. Do you, do you think that there's a less of enjoyment with kids compared to now than it was in 1996, 97? I think that the pressure of junior hockey was always a little bit unrecognized back then. Yeah. I think there's two things. I think I think that that the the you know like you're in the lineup and you you're trying to get to the next level and and you've got all the pressures that the average 16 to 20 year old would have plus you've got junior hockey. It's it's the the that part is the same and from the outside looking in people think well I would love to be the player out there. I'd love to have all this attention on me. I'd love to be a junior hockey player and the players where that's the reality and they they've grown up with that and and that's they're they're experiencing it then you know like they're they're they have all the same pressures everybody else does and more they still got school they still got relationship they still got family all the things girlfriend that, that, back home or whatever girlfriend yeah. back home, all those they have all those things and um but it does seem that for every reason, you know, like, like the the kids back then were were also just a little bit more resilient, and and that is partly because, in my opinion, again, now the kids in the Western League are are not all of them or junior hockey in general, not all of them, but but a a, a wider a range of players from the same sort of every sort of hockey school and skill development academy and kids and that's what they do with hockey and they just been from day one groomed to be players and back in the area you're referring to there was a little bit more of there's just like this naturally talented player um he didn't necessarily he wasn't necessarily in every sort of skating camp and skills camp and every under development thing under the they were just good hockey players doing off ice training at four years old and this kind of thing. They were just like the not like really, really good players. And so I, I think that you're right though, that, that in that way, if one was to make a statement about it, they'd say that, that probably in general, that, that, that it was enjoyed a little bit more back then because for, for that reason. Right. But there was still, there was still stress back then that was, that was unrecognized that everybody was going through. And from the outside looking in, you say, this doesn't, this is the, this is this idyllic, 
dream existence being a junior hockey player, yeah. except when you're doing it. And, you know, I've had, I've had friends of mine that, that are playing in the NHL and one told me one time, he's like, you know, every time I hear the phone beep, every time I think it was my heart does a, I think I'm getting sent to the minors every time. Yeah. He goes, I check it. And then it's, you know, I'm okay. And, and then, but then eventually I'll get the, I'll get the, I'll get the text and I'll be going, I'll be, I'll be, uh, you know, back down and wherever it will be. And, and this is, you know, this, so you have that sort of uncertainty all the time and, and, you know, and it's it's a game. You know, like like it's it's such a fast, powerful game. You have all the stress around that, and, and yeah, it's tougher than than people realize. But on the other hand, there's nothing like it, right? It's it it is this this beautiful, awesome, great thing. But you know, behind the scenes, it's it's it is tougher than people realize. Well, yeah, that's that's the thing. Like the tonight, like we're we're going to that hockey game tonight, and the Connor Bedard show and everything. And so, like the kids that are get getting to play with Bedard this season, that are that and most of them aren't playing in the National Hockey League, and that and that's just the facts of the matter. That most kids who play junior hockey don't go on any further. But these kids that are playing this year with Bedard are having a chance to play in front of seventeen thousand people saddled them the other night. Every yeah. rink, every rink they go to is sold yeah, out, no matter what. So the, 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 these guys who end up being insurance salesmen or construction workers or plumbers or whatever they end up being selling insurance and the like they'll those guys will remember this season their entire lives and so that's that that's one of the good like that there's a lot of good things about hockey that's one of the best things that a lot of these guys will remember when it's all said and done it is absolutely and there's so many great things about hockey in in that direction that you're referring to and because it is the biggest sport here it it does attack it does attract you know very like like very bright very athletic uh, kids, and so the social wherewithal that one develops going through junior hockey is, you know, it, it's something that is it's hard to get in other in other domains of life, like the junior hockey. You know, you play junior hockey, yeah. And they, they, there's that relating to people, and there's that humor. It's just a little bit higher level in general than than a lot of other spaces. Uh, growing up so so there, there's a there's a lot of great things about about minor hockey and junior hockey and just you know playing at the highest level and you know whether somebody ever makes money playing hockey or not they'll have that and they'll be they'll be better uh, for it and this is one of the reasons why it is in general a good thing that hockey is it, it, there's not as much fighting as, as there was because that was one of the things is that like we we're just talking about, if you weren't that player that was that talented and you were a decent size, players literally fought their way to the NHL. Like Eric Goddard, like a good friend of mine and all this, and, and uh, had all those fights. And as a forward, I think he had four goals in two years kind of thing, right? Yeah. And, you know, but, but that, you know, like played in the NHL six years and Sidney Crosby is his buddy and, and won the Stanley Cup and, but for, for, for kids to be trying to do that and hurting themselves in a way that's going to have a, a negative effect on the rest of their life, like the less of that, uh, less is, is more kind of thing. That's, it's good that we're heading in that direction.
Well, it's, it's good that you talk about the positives at all, of it all because you hear about all the horror stories, and I hate dwelling on that, that stuff on our podcast because like you hear about that off air and on the, at the rink, you hear about this guy and that guy and and this hockey Canada thing, and and there there is a lot of good hockey people out there. Like there there, there really is. Like I I never heard of a, a whole bunch of horror stories when I was playing, but the the horror stories that you that you do hear that are coming out, those are few and far between, and I think th- those are in every walk of life. I don't think it's just a hockey a hockey culture. I think that that's just a a culture in general but they they tend to to point at hockey players but no there, there's a there's a so many positives that come from the game of hockey that that people really need to focus on a little bit more i mean like at the, the i still call it the sports flex but like going there tonight i'll see guys i haven't seen in 30 years and they're, they're still standing in the same place every every time right in between periods and you, absolutely and you'll say hi absolutely. to them and you'll, and you'll have a bullshit about it and laugh about god knows what and maybe spill a beer with them or whatever it may be and i think that people really have to start realizing that you know what Hockey's not that bad of a thing because it really isn't. It's 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 one of the greatest games in the world, and it absolutely the, is. And and going through <laughs> it, so when you go through it and you develop yourself in every way, you get to see your cardiovascular system, and your strength and your athleticism in general, and you're focusing on skill development in this game per se. And if those skills don't take you to a professional career, you know that is that is just fine. Because the two things are, you know, those professional careers, like, it, it is not this idyllic, blissful Hollywood existence. Like, it's it's a top grind professional sports. And yes, you make more money than the average person, but it's, it's tough up there. And the other thing is that when you develop those skills and your hockey career is over with, it's after junior or after collegiate or even after a little bit of pro – you have those skills for life and everywhere you move in North America or probably anywhere in the world, you know, you don't know anybody in the city, you go to a rink, get on a team and instantly you've got 20 really good friends. Yeah. And then the better player you are, the more people want you on your team. It's crazy how bad, better friends you become with those guys. Yeah. And remember back in the day when, when you know, growing up in Formal Cloud, there would be an RCMP that get transferred to Formal Cloud and no one knows who he is. And, and you know, and it, it's, it's, it, it's the natural sort, sort of, no, not, not so much anymore, but back then yeah. there'd be a bit of a social disconnect between everyone else and the police officers. But if they were a good hockey player. They come and they get on the team and, and the better team would want them on there and then they're friends with everybody. And it's just, it's just a great skill to have in, in North America, especially in Canada, because it's the biggest sport. And when you have those skills, like you, you just have this, it's this kind of a social capital you have with, with you forever. And you're always doing something that is, it's, you know, it's your career, you're getting exercise, doing it. And it's this very intelligent, creative, beautiful game. And when, when people understand that, and that, you know, that's a big part of the whole direction of hockey, then as you say, these these sort of one-offs here and there, quote unquote scandals, like th- those are those are societal, you know, Western cultural, uh, you know, phenomena, not specific to hockey. That that that's that 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 that's unfair to say that, you know, with with, with sports teams all over, you know, all over North America, there 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 are things like that that happen, but there are things that happen like that. Happens with rock bands, it happens with movie stars, oh, it happens with lawyers, absolutely. it happens everywhere. Absolutely, and it's not good. It's it's not it's not to condone it. It's not to minimize no. it. But but it's, it's just not to all, all and and we better be careful these days, right? What you say anywhere, yeah. but 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 uh, all we're basically saying is 
let's not pin that on hockey. Let's not pin it on the game of hockey. That's right. It's 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 a person or two or six, whatever it is. It's not the game of hockey, yeah. and I, I really I really believe that it's uh no, it's it's something that I I've made a lot of friends uh, with in the game of hockey, and there's still guys I can call on like yourself. Twenty years later, and we have a bullshit about the the great game. It's it's a lot of fun. Like I hooked up with, with Harry York. Oh, I haven't talked to him in twenty. Jesus, 25, yeah. 26 years. We had a nice BS session, and I, I might not see him again after twenty six years. And by that time, I who knows if I'll even be on this this earth. But it's nice to uh, to be able to, to reach out to people, and I think that's something that hockey really has because you go from rink to rink, and everybody everybody knows somebody who's who's made it, or everybody knows somebody who knows somebody. And I think like and, and our country's not that big, and especially Western Canada, like where we kind of know ins and outs of people i think it's i think it's a great thing where people are allowed to are allowed to converse about the, the art, this great sport absolutely and, and it is it is that i mean it's just like it's at its best it's like the celebration of the human excellence in that domain like it's it's that's why i was going to go see Connor bedard because he at this time is such a well-developed player and is such you know his skill set is so advanced and People are celebrating his ability to express hockey acumen through himself at such a young age. And what's wrong with that? Nothing at all. We'll end it with some cheap shots. Got five questions for you. Ready to go? Yes. When's the last time you had a hamburger from McDonald's? 2003. I think you just made that up. You don't even know. True story. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Laziest guy you ever had, you ever worked with, but actually made a pro career out of? A guy that you had to like, just like, would you just do something, man? So this is the thing: is that that's kind of hard to answer because that 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 um, you know, the, the, it, it's um, we don't want to put anybody on the spot. Not laziest, but a guy you maybe maybe had to nudge a little more than the rest. Okay, so there's a few, but um, laziest and nudge a little bit more than the rest. Um, not the laziest, had to nudge a little more than the rest, but not the laziest. Yeah, yes, Nick Ross, just but not the laziest, yeah. But just, I, I'm, yeah, I'm my skills, my skill levels, this, and yeah, well, I'll just, yeah, yeah, is that it? Okay, uh. Player over the years with the worst eating habits. I am so sad to say. Again, I hate to see these guys are gonna are gonna see this. I, I hate to think these guys are gonna see this and feel badly about oh, they'll, it. They'll they'll laugh. They'll, they they know. There's not a surprise. They had bad eating habits. So they need a little work. Um, well, this will be no shock to him in our organization, but love you, buddy. Colton Yellowhorn. <laughs> Colton Yellowhorn? His biggest fan. <laughs> no, I yeah, I know him a little bit, too. Yeah, that's you're, I, I think you're right on that one. Um, when, uh, yeah, I'll tell you this. When um, in... Really good player, though, yeah. 2008 or nine. I was gonna do uh, uh, a match with uh, somebody, and I was gonna I was gonna swear I'd wear someone's jersey to the ring, and and so I you know had everybody I could choose from, and I said I I, I want Colton Yellowhorns, Team Canada jersey. That was the guy. So I'm a huge fan and great friend of mine, but it, that would be that's the answer to your question. Okay, there you go. Um, a memorable scrap from one of your prodigies that. 
he thought went pretty okay that you went, that didn't go very well. Oh, there's a lot of those. There's a lot of those. <laughs> Hard to say uh, just one. Um, you know, Derek Parker wins almost all of them. But that would, it would probably have to be him because he's had so many, right? He's had. Yeah, he fought a lot, yeah. I mean, he had 500, but that was a few years ago. So I'm going to be 600 now. It, it's that's just an enormous number. Maybe it's higher. And and so uh, he's super confident, super top, super smart, and would you know like, so that he, that would be the answer. Yeah, Derek Parker. Last one. The most. Uh... A guy that didn't get drafted high or drafted at all into the NHL, but ended up having a career. And you thought, how the heck did he make it? Because he didn't work as hard as he should have. Like, was there a guy that made it? And you go, I didn't see that coming, but he made it. There's not a guy I can think of that has done that because the there'd be players that were not the like, athletic development off the ice was not necessarily their thing, but you could see that if they, you know, like like Brendan Manell, for example, was with Lethbridge, and you know, like the the Hurricanes uh, general manager and staff make like really good trades all the time, and this was no exception. We got Brendan Manell, and he was so good that it was. Do you remember him? Yeah. Because he was just unbelievable, and. Fitness, off ice fitness was not his, you know, strongest quality, <laughs> but he came, he left at the end of the season and he came back and he was in shape and he was a 20 year old. So he was going to Minnesota's camp and we did a fitness testing with everybody and he passed our fitness test, which he was not even close to the year before. And he was going to Minnesota's camp. And I was 50-50. We never see this guy again. I have never seen him since. Really? Yeah. He he played. He played um, because he was undrafted. He you know he played a little bit, and he and he played in the American League more. But he's he was in Russia with with uh, Rob Klinkhammer. Uh, mm -hmm. You know uh, the last year Rob played, and I said, "How good is Mel?" He said, "Yeah, he's real good." He was one of those guys. If he had got the right uh, the right draft status, he would be. You know, I I think almost a household name. He was just so good. He he was he was really really good. He is it, really really. Good. It is funny with everything that we have nowadays. How guys still slip, slip through the cracks like that, and you just don't know how because with all yeah. the technology and every stat of every kid from the, the age of their eight years old is out there somehow, some way, and there's video of everything, and it's it's odd how kid can slip slip through the crack like that. And it just goes to show the kids shouldn't uh, shouldn't give up like you were saying because they didn't get drafted in the third round of the of the bantam draft. Like it's that's it, right. There's always that's a chance. Kids, like, Kids all the time, kids everywhere, like, don't worry too much about the Bantam draft or the NHL draft. Just keep getting better, and good things will happen. There you go. Trav, this is a lot of fun. I thank you very much for uh, joining us on the Failing Tender Podcast. It's a long time coming. We've been doing this for a couple of years now, so we're happy to have you on the show. Welcome back anytime. Maybe we'll hey, bring on. Thank bring you me. for having me on, and great job with the podcast. I'm super happy to see you doing this. I'm super proud of you to see how this got for you. And Thanks, man. No, it's so many good. people I know listen to it and love it, so good on you. And yeah, buddy, thanks again. Thanks a lot, good. We'll see you at the game tonight. Take, take right. it easy, man. Bye. Bye.